Hello, and welcome to Legal Management Talk, the official podcast of the Association of Legal Administrators. I'm your host, Justin Askenazy. Today's guest is someone ALA listeners know quite well, Michael Cohen, partner at Duane Morris and an expert in employment law training and counseling. He's here to talk about some of the most important topics in legal HR today, mental health, dealing with microaggressions, and trends for 2023. He's also a rabid Philadelphia sports fan. I'm from DC, so blue hiss. But, and I know their recent successes will be uh, talked about in many other venues, but we're going to really dive in deep and see if he can finally tell us what in the world gritty is. Welcome, Michael. It's great to have you on the show. Thank you, Justin. And I'm terribly, terribly sorry for your Washington fandom. It has to be just a daily agonizing experience. You know, it certainly can be. Certainly can be. Uh, So first, one of the silver linings of COVID is how it's made mental health more a part of the workforce conversation. What have you noticed about the differences in how we talk about mental wellness, especially in the legal industry? Yeah, Justin, I couldn't agree with you more um, to the extent that we were able to make lemonade um, out of what were just a whole bunch of lemons on a day-to-day, on a month-to-month, on a year, year-to-year basis. Uh, one of the positives that did come out of the pandemic and, and seems to be sticking is organizations, and certainly in the legal industry as well, uh, increased focus on mental health awareness in the workplace. Uh, there have been things in pop culture, things like uh, Ted Lasso, that have done just unbelievable have done an unbelievable amount to destigmatize and to, to demystify the realities of mental illness. Uh, and, and law firms are, are really starting to understand the importance of this topic. Um, I, I tell people this all the time. I was, I'm the product of two psychologists. Um, both of my parents are shrinks. And I grew up in a household where mental health awareness was something that was emphasized all the time. Um, I, I, I joke, you know, I got hugged a lot, but, but that's true. Whether it was a physical hug or a metaphorical hug, um, I was checked in on a lot by my folks. I do it with my girls all the time now. Um, and the reality is employees are demanding that attention be paid to mental health awareness. Uh, the, the numbers are, are pretty staggering um, that have come out in terms of how many people have experienced a mental health concern over the course of the last couple of years. I, I think that the number is somewhere in the neighborhood of in excess of 75% have experienced at least some form of depression, of anxiety, or of burnout in 2021. Um, and, and interestingly, uh, McKinsey did a study that showed that organizations, uh, 75% of organizations feel that they are dealing effectively with mental health in the workplace, whereas somewhere around 50 or fewer percent of employees think that that's the case, which means there's this disconnect that exists between what employers think and what employer what employees are experiencing. Um, as law firms, and I have the opportunity, which is wonderful, to travel throughout the country and talk to different ALA chapters and talk to law firms as well, and administrators, human resource professionals, management committees, executive committees of law firms have started to get the fact that the more that we can communicate to employees that we understand the fact that they are experiencing difficult times, the more loyalty we will engender, which of course will have a massive effect on things like retention, on things like recruitment. Law firms that understand 
the importance of communicating to employees that we understand that there are struggles. They become destination employers. They become the employers that law firm employees seek seek out and and really want to go work for. Uh, so we have seen this huge increase level of attention paid, and it's it's taken a lot of different forms, and we can talk about that. But you know, it really has taken a lot of different forms. For me, the gratifying part is that law firms are really starting to have these kinds of conversations. Of course. Uh, so what you mentioned, what forms it takes, so what, you know, what are some examples of those? Sure. Um, one thing we're seeing is, is more training being provided, uh, by firms to their attorneys, to their professional staff, whether it is first aid, mental health awareness, first aid training, uh, which is wonderful because it allows employees really to try and be there for other employees and to recognize signs when people inside of the firm may be struggling and may need help. Uh, we've seen training in other forms as well, training on uh, the realities under the Family Medical Leave Act and the Americans with Disabilities Act that employees may have entitlements when they are dealing with mental health issues. Uh, the revision of policy, same kind of thing. Uh, some firms are going as far, and these are firms that really, I think fundamentally are putting forward, you're putting at the forefront the emphasis on mental health is these are these firms that have, for example, employee resource groups and are creating ERGs that deal with mental health. Uh, and, and obviously, there's some risk associated with the creation of a mental health ERG because what you're doing is you're encouraging employees to disclose to each other, and therefore, in many situations, to the firm, the fact that they do, in fact, have a mental health concern that may implicate the Americans with Disabilities Act or the Family Medical Leave Act. And my response to a concern like that is it's absolutely real. It may create increased obligation for firms that they might not otherwise have. But sort of my response to my response is, I would rather know. I would rather know more times than not. I would rather know than not know so that I'm in a position to help. Um, do, you know, do we have employee assistance programs where we can refer employees to places where they can get help? Are we really on top of our insurance carriers to make sure that they are providing equitable coverage for mental health concerns where, for example, the insurance companies aren't covering 10% or 15% or 20% of mental health concerns, whereas the physical issues may be covered 80%. You know, are we really in a meaningful way requiring that kind of equity? These are the kinds of things. And by the way, Justin, these don't cost a lot. You know, you're talking about very, very low cost items with huge returns in terms of, as I said, loyalty, which of course leads to retention, which of course leads to recruitment, which of course leads to your firm becoming a destination employer. All of these things can happen without a great, it takes a lot of thought and planning, but from a bottom line, it doesn't cost the firm a great deal and it engenders just a huge amount of return. Definitely. So what more can legal be doing as an industry to increase awareness of mental health issues? Uh, the more we can talk about it, the better off we're going to be. There are a lot of studies that are out there that talk, that really do show the amount of mental health, uh, the, the, I should say, the impact that mental health issues have on attorneys. It is a high stress job. There is no way around that. Um, most people in our profession um, whether it is from the attorney side or the professional staff, but we put a lot of pressure on ourselves. Um, and the reality is failure happens. None of us is perfect. Um, and 
the more we can continue to talk about the realities of mental health awareness and, and the realities of mental illness at work, the better off we're going to be from an industry standpoint, because what hopefully will become normalized are these conversations is the fact that each of us at some point needs help. You know, look, anybody over the course of the last couple of years who didn't experience sadness, loneliness, some form of depression, anxiety, I think probably wasn't paying a whole heck of a lot of attention. And certainly those who went into the pandemic with underlying mental health concerns saw those concerns exaggerated over the course of the last couple of years. So the more we can continue the dialogue and because just because hopefully we are leaving this pandemic environment, it doesn't mean the conversation should stop. They, they have to keep going, recognizing that the people that we want to continue to perform well for us, this is, this is a paramount concern to them. Uh, what we have to be really aware of and candidly a little frightened of are those people who are rolling around our firm who start a sentence with, well, back in my day, uh, you know, back in my day, very, very often is code for, I like the way things have always been done. Fundamentally, I don't want to change. I don't really understand what's going on here. You know, back in my day is, is sort of similar to the guy standing on his robe, standing on his front lawn in his robe, shaking his newspaper at somebody, you know, take the robe off, get off your lawn um, and get with the realities of 2022 and beyond. Definitely. So uh, in October, the Surgeon General released a framework, Workplace Mental Health and Wellbeing uh, report. Um, one of the key parts of that plan is making sure people feel like they and their work matter. How can firm leadership translate that idea into action at their organization? So expressions of gratitude are something that go an awfully long way. It's something I talk about all the time when I have conversations in law firms about the importance of empathy, about the importance of mental health concerns. Um, I, I and it sounds right and it sounds kind of simple. But making people understand that what they're doing matters and that we appreciate the fact that they're working hard and they are making a difference. You know, we still hear, I don't understand. You want me to thank somebody for doing their job? And my response, of course, is like, only if you want to keep them. Because people need to feel validated. People need to feel appreciated. Uh, we need to understand that these kinds of simple steps, these kinds of expressions of gratitude go such a long way. But we also need to understand that not everybody accepts gratitude the same way. Um, there are people who genuinely love public displays of adulation, you know, love to hear how great they are in front of large groups. There are other people, and, and I certainly include myself in this second group, who get wildly uncomfortable um, being complimented in front of people. Uh, I, I was listening to a podcast back in uh, early 2020. And the guy who was interviewed on the podcast was a guy by the name of Larry Brown, who was the Philadelphia 76ers uh, head coach back in the early 2000s. Now, and Larry Brown had what I believe to be the absolute privilege to coach the guy who was to this day, pound for pound, the single greatest offensive player the NBA has ever seen, a guy by the name of Allen Iverson. And Allen Iverson, while a just fundamentally unbelievable talent, was not always the easiest guy to coach. And, the and during the podcast that I was listening to, Larry Brown was asked, how was he more than any other NBA head coach able to get so much out of Iverson? 
And the answer he gave, I thought was pretty interesting at the time. And over the course of the last few years, the practical application of it has become so clear to me. And what he said was, I treat everybody fairly, but I don't treat everybody the same. That's how I was able to get so much out of Alan. I treat everybody fairly, but I don't treat everybody the same. He understood that he couldn't treat Alan the same way he treated Eric Snow, the same way he treated Dikembe Mutombo, the same way he treated Matt Geiger. He treated people differently and was able to get the most out of them based on that idea. Going back to this expressions of gratitude, do you know your people? As leaders, do we understand what is going to motivate them and make them feel appreciated at work? Until and unless you do, you're not going to get the most out of them. There's just no way. So the study reference is so critically important because what at its root it's talking about is making sure that we understand what is going to make our employees feel most appreciated at work. And it is not going to be the same for everybody. Treat everybody fairly. Don't treat everybody the same. Yep. So let's talk microaggressions. They're toxic behavior, and it's important to understand why they happen in the workplace. Can you explain some examples of those and how people who are on the receiving end should address them? Sure. So let's talk about where they come from first. Um, And far more often than not, the place microaggressions come from is from the existence of implicit bias, right? The, the, the fact that none of us uh, should say all of us comes to the workplace with different backgrounds, with different frames of reference, you know, how, when, where, and with whom we were raised, how, when, where, and with whom we were educated, our colleagues, our friends, these days, more than anything, the media we consume, all of these things inform the way we think and therefore inform the decisions we make and the things we say and we do. So these microaggressions very often are born of the existence of this kind of implicit bias, um, and and they take really destructive forms. Um, You know, sort of the classic microaggression I talk about when I give talks on this subject is, and it it angers me to even say out loud, which is the, I don't see color. You know, that is, you know, people tell you, I don't see color as somebody being disingenuous. I think that's being way too kind. I think that's garbage. Somebody who says, I don't see color is a liar. They're lying to you. They're not being disingenuous. Fundamentally, they are being dishonest with you. Because what they're saying is, if I am cited, by the way, see color. If I am cited, I see gender or gender identity or gender expression. I see these things. When somebody says, I don't see color, number one, as I said, they're being dishonest. Number two, what, what they're saying to the individual who is the target of this kind of microaggression, is I don't see who you are. I don't see you in your full sense. I don't see the totality of you when I don't see color. These kinds of statements are so destructive. Going up to a young male associate um, who says he has to leave uh, the office because he has to go home take care, uh, has to go pick up a kid from school, from daycare, from practice. And the response is, why can't your wife And I think there's so many problems baked into a response like that, right? We've got assumptions uh, based on LGBTQ status. We have assumptions based on caregiver responsibility. The law firms that really will become successful throughout the next generation are going to get their arms around the importance of diversity, equity, and inclusion. They're going to get their arms around 
implicit bias and taking steps to mitigate against implicit bias. They're going to make sure that their attorneys, that their professional staff, everybody really are educated in a meaningful way about these kinds of microaggressions. Um, and, and what can somebody do if they are the target of a microaggression? If a microaggression is directed at them, I mean, my hope is that the firms that are listening to this, the firms that are out there, have complaint procedures in place. And the same way somebody would raise an issue of this nature, uh, or I should say would raise an issue, for example, of an EEO concern or harassment issue or discrimination, discrimination issue, would have the opportunity and the ability to bring forward a complaint of that nature to a diverse group of people. Hopefully, they have the same ability to do so with microaggressions. Uh, Bystander responsibility is a huge way to really to act against these kinds of microaggressions, making sure that people understand within your firm that they have the ability to bring a complaint or let somebody know, even if the behavior was not directed at them. The EEOC is spending a lot of time talking about bystander responsibility right now. It's an incredibly important topic. Because what the EEOC understands, and it, this is true, is that not everybody feels comfortable bringing a complaint if the conduct is directed towards them. Sometimes people feel more comfortable if the conduct is not directed towards them. The more we understand that if you see something, you should say something, the better off we're going to be, certainly as it relates Justin, to these kinds of microaggressions that happen, these everyday slights, these everyday snubs that far more often than not are not born of ill intent. They're born of these kinds of biases. They're born of these notions of the way things were in a time gone by. Right. And I know you, ju you just touched on it, but what is the role of firms in preventing and managing implicit bias and the resulting microaggressions? We have to educate. I mean, that's the responsibility. Number one, we have to educate. Number two, we have to take steps when it continues to exist. Um, I, I, I'm very fortunate. I work for a law firm called Dwayne Morris, uh, international law firm, 900 or so att attorneys throughout the country and internationally. And we are in the process of educating all of our U.S. employees on implicit bias. Uh, myself and a couple of other attorneys in our firm are training everybody in the firm about the existence, not just where it comes from, but how to be aware of it and steps we can take to mitigate against it. And, and we're not alone. There are a lot of law that are engaging this kind of absolutely necessary education these days because we want to exist 20 years from now. We need to understand that, that implicit bias is at the heart, unfortunately, of a lot of decisions that are made inside of law firms, things like affinity bias, things like confirmation bias, things like race, gender, or even name bias confront all of us on a day-to-day -day basis. So if we're not educating our attorneys, our professional staff, and then Upon the completion of education, if it continues to exist, if we allow it, we're condoning the behavior. In some senses, we're encouraging the behavior. At a minimum, it, it's tacit support of this kind of conduct. And it just cannot continue um, if we really are seeking to achieve diversity, if we are seeking to achieve equity, if we really want inclusivity in our firms. The mitigation against implicit bias is is the biggest thing we can do right now to achieve DEI. Right. So on a, on a related note, as people come back into the office, we're likely to see an increase in workplace harassment issues. 
Yeah. Uh, what is firm management's role in dealing with such cases? Yeah. So it's not that we will see, it's that we are seeing. Uh, you know, people have been away from people for a long time. Uh, and let's just say some, some folks have become rusty with the do's and don'ts of the workplace. Uh, we need to make sure that as law firm managers, as those with management responsibilities in our firm, that we understand that, A, we have to refrain from inappropriate conduct as broadly as we can define that phrase, because as leaders, people are going to look to us as an example. We need to make sure that our employees, attorneys and professional staff understand, uh, I, I should say our attorneys and uh, those with management responsibilities in our firm need to understand that if a complaint is reported to them, that they must bring that complaint to the designated person or people inside of the firm, HR, the administrator, management committee, whatever it is, that we all have an obligation to respond proactively, even if somebody doesn't complain. It goes back to the idea of bystander responsibility. We see something, we have to say something or the conduct won't end. That if the complaint is investigated and it turns out, yes, there has been inappropriate conduct engaged in by somebody, that we have to remedy the inappropriate behavior, making sure we focus the remedy in the right place. Otherwise, we end up on the business end of retaliation claims, which is not something we ever want to do. The more proactive we can be, the better off we are going to be as a firm. It comes in the form of education. And when the behavior happens anyway, we need to make sure that those with management responsibilities inside of our firm really do appreciate what their responsibilities are, refraining, reporting to HR to the appropriate person or people, responding proactively, even if nobody complains making sure we remedy the uh, inappropriate behavior, focusing the remedy on the right person or in the right place. And finally, making sure we refrain from anything that even smells like retaliation. These are the kinds of obligations our managers need to have, understand that they have. Right. Um, so to shift gears a little bit, as we move into next year, what should HR professionals be on the lookout for regarding emerging trends and hot topics for 2023? So I, I think we're certainly going to see a continued focus on a continued focus, excuse me, on mental health awareness and DEI. And uh, I had the opportunity to, over the last uh, couple of months, to speak with some chapters, ALA chapters throughout the country about this. And, and here's here's sort of the reality as from a law firm standpoint: if you're doing nothing, you're moving backwards. Uh, if status quo is the battle cry then you're moving in the wrong direction because your competitor firms are taking really meaningful steps to achieve DEI, to mitigate against implicit bias. So, you know, if the idea is, again, get off my lawn, if the idea is, again, back in my day, you're moving in the wrong direction. So the, the mental health awareness, the DEI is going to continue. We need to keep an eye out on what the Department of Labor has been doing. Um, with regard to minimum wage increases, uh, with regard to classification of employees, the um, with you know these are sort of some of the, these are some of the things we're starting to see in a bit in a big way. The Department of Labor is starting to take steps uh, towards uh, making it harder for somebody to be classified as an exempt employee. Again, this increase in minimum wage, which will impact potentially classification as well. These are the kinds of steps. These are the kinds of things we need to keep on the lookout for. For sure. Um, okay, now the now the fun question. As I mentioned at the top, uh, you are a, a big Philly sports fan, and which means you've had uh, a lot of time to kind of study 
uh, gritty, the, the Flyers <laughs> mascot, and uh, you know, see what, what he's all about. So I will ask you the question everyone wants to know. What is gritty? So aside from being like a furry, seven-foot, googly-eyed bundle of joy, gritty is a mindset, man. Gritty is a way of life. Gritty is a, is, is a being, a sense of being in Philadelphia. Uh, it represents all of us and, and the hard work and the nose to the grindstone. You know, the way sports are supposed to be played, the way our 2022 Phillies, who won 87 games and made it within two games of beating what was clearly the best team in baseball in the Astros. Um, don't focus on what gritty is. Focus on what it represents, the beauty that is Philadelphia sports. Uh, I think uh, we're all going to have to uh, uh, stew on that for a little while. <laughs> <laughs> yes but uh but yeah no i appreciate all your uh your perspective and all the info you uh, gave us today thanks so much for coming on mike thanks justin i really i really appreciate it yep uh thanks to our listeners and subscribers for tuning in if you like the show please uh, subscribe on youtube or wherever you get your podcasts so that you never miss an episode and don't forget we are now on spotify and amazon music uh, as always, you can learn more about ALA at alanet.org. Until next time.